Hey everyone, my name is Imani and welcome to the book club segment of Raise Your Words. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Now, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself to the listeners who might not know. My name is Intisar Kanani. I write Mighty Girls and Diverse Worlds. Um, that's really set in kind of the genre of fantasy. Um, and I am the author of the Dauntless Path books, beginning with Thorn, as well as the Sunbolt Chronicles. But I have Rambles Out, which is a prequel story to Thorn um, that's free pretty much everywhere. And, um, and then The Bone Knife is another short story in, in um, the Dauntless Path world. I think it's included at the back of Thorn. Yes, I remember that story. That was really good as well. Thank you. I would say out of all your books, which characters was the easiest and which ones were like, the hardest one to write? I think probably um, the easiest character to write has been Hitomi from the Sunbolt Chronicles. Um, and she's she's just a delight to write. She's this scrappy young girl who, you know, she just, she, she doesn't give up. She gets knocked down, she gets back up and keeps fighting. And she has this wonderful sort of optimism that is not at all naive about her. Um, and she's just... Uh, she just kind of walked onto the page and she knew exactly what she was doing. And I was like, oh, hi, hello, who are you? <laughs> um, so she was she was a lot of fun. And um, I'm really looking forward to working on her next book. And then probably the hardest character. You know, um, this is, it wasn't really the, the character that was hard, but writing the relationship between Ray and Bren was really hard in the theft of sunlight and in the darkness of the door um and you know ray is the main character um and bren i don't know how many spoilers i want to give here but he's a thief she gets to know and um they have a really fascinating dynamic and they really play off of each other's strengths and and lean in and kind of support each other's weaknesses but but sometimes not so much (laughs) um (laughs) And kind of building and developing that relationship and trying to get it right, especially in darkness, was um, was really really hard. I that was the main focus of like three or four full revision rounds <laughs> because the plot all worked out, and then I was like, "But this relationship is not working." <laughs> so yeah, that's a bit of a cop out. But the relationship with Bren, I love honestly dynamics like that where it's very much and kind of almost like a Hansel Leia kind of dynamic where um, one character is a little bit I would say morally gray and the other is very much into the righteous path and that's always something that's drawn me to certain books because of that. Yeah for sure that's definitely what's going on here. And I was actually wondering, speaking of um, being the author, do you have any advice for other in, or people who might want to become an indie author or, you know, publish, uh, self-publish? And it could be like things that you wish you knew or things that uh, you have learned by now that you hope others will 
learn like know before they start yeah so um i think i think the the biggest thing for me is realizing that because i've also done trad and um whether you're traditionally published or you're indie you pretty much have to do the same amount of hustling <laughs> right like the marketing still primarily falls to the author um there might be a little bit that your um, publisher will do for you unless they think you're a frontline title but if you're just kind of a, a regular title with them um you're not getting special treatment um as an indie author i mean i love i love the indie writing community um Authors are super supportful, supportive of each other. Um, there's a lot that you can learn from each other. People are very much um, there to help each other succeed. There isn't this sense of like, well, if they bought your book, they won't buy my book. It's like, no, we want everybody's book to get bought. And um, it's a really, it's a really cool scene to be a part of. Um, and so I, I guess, you know, for indie, indie authors or people who are considering starting off, like, I think it's really um valuable and and wonderful to get connected to these different um communities and they're all over social media there's a bunch on facebook there um you can get connected via twitter and there's there's private groups there's discord servers um pick your social media you can probably find one um but yeah i think i think that uh writing gets lonely and being able to find community is really important and it's definitely there um especially in the indie scene so you know, and then, you know, indie, I don't know, I love being an indie author because you can, you can change things and you can control what you're doing. And if your book description isn't working, you can fix it. <laughs> so there's design your own covers or get people to do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Which sure. is probably why, like, being an indie author definitely has its perks in terms of how much freedom you get within. It does. I mean, I think for me, the main, um, the main thing I missed as an indie was being able to um, work with, uh, well, not really. I mean, even as an indie author, if you're working with like Ingram Spark as a distributor, you can reach libraries, but um, it is harder to get libraries to carry your books. Generally, they're not going to notice you. They're not necessarily going to pick you up. And for me, um, I really love that aspect of accessibility because I grew up getting all my books from the library. So I, you know, I want, I want kids in libraries to be able to read my books too. Um, but there are, um, there are growing opportunities there too. So I'm part of an indie co-op now called Snowy Wings Publishing and they work directly with um, library distributors. And so, you know, it, it, it's a way to kind of have the best of both worlds. That is pretty amazing. Actually, I saw your books at my library and it was really nice to see. Um, especially since I mean I have them on my shelves as well but (laughs) it's just nice to see that it's also in local libraries as well that's really awesome most routine thing I do is panic (laughs) Uh, so I um, I'm a work-at-home mom I uh, we're a homeschooling family so my kids are home a lot um, we do a lot of stuff together. We also, I mean, they also take some classes outside of the house, but, um, it's, it's really hard to segment my day or, um, be like, well, these are my writing hours because my kids are still young and and we'll get there, you know, when they're in high school, it won't be a problem, but, um, we're, we're just, just entering middle school now. So we're, we're, we're kind of getting closer. 
So my writing routine is usually, um, if they're in a class, I sit down and I figure out what I'm doing. <laughs> and otherwise I write when they get in bed. Um, and, and it's not easy. Um, I guess the, the really critical thing about how I write is I'm a very intuitive writer. And so if I haven't had time to process what's happening in the story, um, then I cannot sit at a computer screen and expect story to happen. Like it, it won't happen. So sometimes writing for me is literally I'll climb into my bed and pull the covers over my head and play with my characters in my head and imagine scenes. And, you know, I didn't used to value that. And then I would sit down to write and be like, why can't I write the story? And it was like, well, cause I haven't played with it in my head, you know, in, and, you know, part of it, it was hilarious. I was like, well, I can just sit here and do it. And I was like, no, I couldn't. I had to get into my bed and cover my head because I needed to remove all of the visual stimulus. I needed a quiet, closed space where I was just kind of sinking into the story. And so it's kind of weird to be like laying in bed as part of my writing routine. <laughs> um, but I guess it, it really is. And so I think, you know, if I were to give a tip to any writer is, pay attention to how you develop story and make sure to value that time because, um, you know, I almost burned myself out trying to write a story where I thought the most important thing was, was time in front of the computer and word count. And actually that was hurting me because I needed time in bed. Probably uh, taking a bath, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people, yeah, if I get stuck, I'll go take a shower because sometimes um, dialogue for me happens in the shower. So <laughs> my characters are fighting and I can't get the fight right. I need to go take a long shower and you might hear the fight if you're outside the bathroom. <laughs> it's very interesting place to live in our house. <laughs> Just imagine you plotting through your gut of sunlight. I'm like, that would have been a very entertaining conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that surprised me was, like, how different, um, like, Thorn versus Touches Sunlight, and they're all very different, and one of the things I wanted to know is, what was it like plotting Theft of Sunlight versus, like, Thorn, or, like, even the darkness at the door? Um, so, you know, they were all very different, um, but part of um, part of the journey for each of those stories was when I started them in my life and and how I started revising them. So Thorn was the very, very, very first book I ever wrote. And I wrote it in my senior year of university. I had always wanted to be a writer and I somehow decided that that meant that I should just go ahead and do that right then. And so uh, I was taking overload of classes. I was working a 20 hour a week job. I was part of a couple of different student clubs. And then I committed to writing a novel in a year. And um, I wrote a chapter, uh, roughly a chapter a week. Um, and that was, you know, I had a deadline. And um, sometimes I was up late meeting that deadline, <laughs> but I did it. Um, and it was, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a, it was a great exercise. I did it for myself. Um, and I sat down to read Thorn and it was, 
hilarious because I almost fell asleep. It was the most boring book I had ever read. And I was like, how did I write this drivel? (laughs) So everyone is nice to each other. You can't have a book where everyone is nice to each other. (laughs) That would be called fluff. But (laughs) it is lovely fluff, but you can't have that many hundred pages of fluff. Like at some point, someone wants something to happen. So, um, so Thorne was really like, it was a long process of learning how to be a writer. Um, and at the same time I was processing a lot of what was going on in the world. So my senior year of university was the year of nine 11. And, um, as I was going through revisions, I was watching, um, I was watching a lot of fear and anger and hate and injustice playing out in the world. And um, I didn't have a way to process that. And so it came into my writing. Um, And I think it really changed the tone from that happy fluff (laughs) to like, what do you do? Like, like violence engenders violence. How do you break the cycle? What do we need? Like, what is justice without mercy? Um, And so that, that story was, you know, 10, 15 years in the making. Thorn was, I'm oh, sorry, The Theft of Sunlight was, um, I drafted it in, uh, let's see, 2010. And um, and then I, I tried to revise it. I failed and I put it away for like eight years because I had the plot for Ray's story down, but Ray is a disabled character and... Um, she was my first, oh, no, she, uh, no, she wasn't my first um, person of color that I wrote as a main character, but she wasn't my first um, character with a disability. And um, I felt like I was missing the heart of her story and I didn't know what was wrong with it. And again, it was one of these emotional, um, you know, touch points in the story. And it's kind of like when, when I talked about the darkness at the door and getting that relationship right, and that's what wasn't working and what nearly killed me. <laughs> so with theft, um, for theft, it was just Ray's internal journey that I couldn't get right. And I just, I put it away um, and let it sit. And it stewed in the back of my head. And literally like every few months, I would have conversations with Ray and I would, you know, be thinking about what was happening in her story and I'd be reprocessing it. And then I'd put it away again because I didn't quite have it right yet. So it was a very, like, it was very different. A Darkness at the Door, like, I was on contract with that. <laughs> I wrote that thing so hard. Um, it was, um, and then the, the deadlines came pretty quickly together. And so I probably did the same number of revisions as I did on Thorn, but I had a much tighter time, or not on Thorn, on The Theft of Sunlight. I had a much tighter time frame. And um, I never want to do that again. <laughs> never want to do that again like, I was um I think part of it is you know being in the in the middle of a pandemic but um the stress I was kind of an emotional low and I drove myself almost into burnout I pulled myself back out I gave myself stress-induced shingles it was really it was really a rough ride <laughs> don't recommend 10 out of 10 don't do that <laughs> Oh man, that sounds like a rough ride. 
know, but hopefully the book is really good. So, you know, I am very excited. And also like your publisher has been great with like getting books out to different parts of like, even to people who are not in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He has been absolutely wonderful. been so grateful to be working with them. Yeah, I was like, oh no, I'm not actually in the UK. Hopefully they still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They it, have been really, really great with doing that because I know some publishers will purposely reject you right away if they know you're not in the same country. So, yeah, that is amazing on their part. <laughs> they were really cool. I reached out to them and, you know, I asked them if I should, um, if I should, you know, find an indie co op to post on Nut Galley. Dot com and they were like well if you'd like we can we can manage it all for you it's fine and I was like I love you <laughs> so so yeah they they offered and they've been really amazing with it that's amazing that's really great to hear too because I know like sometimes it's hard to get the publishers to agree to yeah. give out copies even if it's two reviewers or two people who are own voices for like books <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah, like I really love the world building and just the fantasy and everything in the books that you read. So thank you, thank you so much. Anytime. I was actually wondering because I know a lot of writers obviously read a lot and or watch a lot, and so one of the things I was wondering was, what are you currently reading or watching? I am kind of um, terribly between books. <laughs> Um, I, uh, what did I just finish reading? Um, oh, no, I, uh, no, I actually, I'm just about to start reading, uh, Miss Percy's, uh, oh, Miss, Mrs. Percy's Pocket Guide to the Care and Feeding of British Dragons. Um, and, uh, it's, it's got this delightful premise of a, of a spinster uh, lady in kind of, I don't know what era, like maybe Victorian. I don't think it's Regency. I can't, I, I haven't gotten far enough uh, into like the story itself to, to be able to tell you. I've just glanced at the first chapter. Um, but, um, you know, she's, she, she inherits a, 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 this, this weird, um, item along with a whole bunch of other paraphernalia from her great uncle and it turns out it's a dragon egg and it hatches <laughs> and and it's very like it's a very cozy story um and so i'm really excited to get into it um and uh yeah i'm not really watching anything right now um good yeah, that sounds honestly like a really interesting book, especially since it's about, it has dragons and everything. Um, I was actually thinking, because it's like five minutes to 7.30, we can exit and then jump back into the Zoom link Absolutely. and finish the rest of the questions that way. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so one of the other questions I was wondering, because I know your books have also been turned into audiobooks. Was it harder to write the book or was it even harder to do the logistics for the audiobook? Um, I found the audiobook relatively easy, uh, which is kind of shocking to say because I was very intimidated by audiobooks when I started out. <laughs> um, but if you work with um, 
a narrator who takes care of all the editing and everything, and, and most narrators will do this, they're just going to give you all the finished files you need at the end of the process. And all you have to do is upload it to the right uh, distributors. So I find, um, you know, that the only challenges with audiobooks is finding a narrator who you feel suits your character and um, paying for them because sometimes audiobooks are expensive. <laughs> uh, but there are ways to do royalty sharing or ways to kind of um, help cover the costs. And uh, overall, though, I think that for me, definitely writing the book is the hardest piece. <laughs> I would imagine, and like one of the things I really love is like your world building in your books, especially in the theft of sunlight and even in the darkness of at the door, as well as porn, but especially in the theft of sunlight. Um, what is your advice for writers who want to improve on their world building for their fantasy book? Um, I think. So I have a lot of advice. <laughs> I'm actually uh, teaching a small workshop in um, July on on world building uh, through the Highlights Foundation. So um, it's it's hard to kind of bring everything together into a succinct thing. But I think I think the most important advice I give I can give is to um, consider how heterogeneity or diversity is a natural aspect of any world or any space that you're in right um and so it's not a question of adding diversity it's a question of um accurately portraying existing diversity right so any group of people you have even if they're the, the only way that they're all going to be the same color and speak the same language and um you know, all of, you know, they're, they've got to be isolated with a wall around them and they're still going to know there's something else out there, right? And they're still going to have chronic illnesses and disability and they're still going to have gender diversity and there's still going to be so many aspects of, of, of diversity. So when you're world building, um, think, question your assumptions. Um, no, no one's society, no one's going to dress the same. No one's, you know, like there's, there's, we, we tend to like simplify and um, it's okay to simplify a little bit in order to write the book. You don't want to get bogged down in too much um, complexity to the point of not being able to write. Uh, but, but question your assumptions, you know, wh why, why do you assume that everyone here is like this or why, um, um, why would, you know, why would the architecture be like this in this place and not like that? And think about, um, think about how setting plays into world building, how climate plays into world building, how, um, you know, socioeconomic status and class and race will all play into your world building because they're all part of what makes a world tick. Uh, I guess that's my, that's the best advice I can give. <laughs> That's perfect. I was actually also wondering, I mean, this isn't on the dock, but mm -hmm. if you are able to answer this, what is your, um, I guess what is next for you in terms of projects that or books that you are planning on working on? If you can give like any teasers at all that you're willing to share, please feel free to let me know. 
I have three different projects that I want to work on. <laughs> um, the first that I will be working on this summer, um, hopefully, is the third Sunbolt book. Um, and that, again, features Hitomi, and it's just a continuation of her adventures. Um, the second book I'd like to work on is a new um, premise um, that I am really excited about. It's a, um, I don't know how to say this succinctly, it's a gender-swapped Sleeping Beauty retelling that is set in a post-apocalyptic U.S. and it features a young woman who accidentally wakes up a gin lord from cryogenic sleep uh, that he was put in for very good reasons. And um, it's very different from anything else I've written. I, I've been very um, kind of almost classic fantasy feel, except not necessarily, you know, Western medieval, but, but, but that, but still that fantasy feel. And this is at best, this will be science fantasy. <laughs> There will be magic. It's going to mesh with tech. Um, it's it's going to really stretch me and pull me in different ways as a writer. And I'm honestly really excited about it. Um, and then my third project is I have another book um, that I love to write in the Dauntless Path um, that picks up a character that we see a little bit more of in A Darkness of the Door. And I don't, I don't want to spoil anything. So I guess i need to stop there <laughs> i'm very excited for all of those especially the sunbolt ones because i actually read them on my stronger and that was like an 18 hour like well so i read all three of like all two of the books and then read <laughs> the other short stories as well oh, so cool. <laughs> thank you i'm so thrilled you enjoyed them so much it was a lot of fun, and it got me through the flight. <laughs> <laughs> and what more can we ask, really? <laughs> Honestly. And one of the other things I wanted to know is, what is the book that got you into reading? Like, the first book that you remember um, really kind of making you, I guess, want to keep reading? So I was an inveterate reader growing up. Like, I... I can't remember a time when I didn't know how to read my parents. I mean, I was apparently reading on my own by the age of four. Um, my mom read to us constantly and taught us how to read very early. Um, so, you know, there was no one book that I remember reading as a young child, but there were two books that, um, that I found in middle school that kind of decided the rest of my writing life. <laughs> I read um, in close succession. I don't remember which one I found first. I read uh, the first um, Alana book by Tamara Pierce. And then I came across um, Robin McKinley's uh, The Blue Sword and her, and her other Demar book. And, um, and for the first time I saw these, really strong, really capable fantasy heroines who were kicking butt um, on their own terms. And I was just, I was sold. That was it. I was like, I have found my place in life. <laughs> it's like, um, 
I talk about imprinting as a young duckling. I mean, that's what I did. And I, I, I read widely through my youth, but I never left fantasy after that. And when I started writing, it was 100% writing Mighty Girls. This is something I know a lot of writers deal with or try to avoid. So how do you deal with or I guess attempt to avoid writer's block? I think that the thing with writer's block is is depending on the writer uh, and what's happening, the source of your writer's block can really, really vary. And so what I have to do when I'm struggling is figure out why. Um, and for me, I process things again. I'm, you know, very intuitive. So sometimes I just have to um, sit and stare at a wall for a while and process it. Sometimes I have to go for a walk. Sometimes I have to journal. Uh, I'm not a talk it out loud kind of person. So that doesn't work for me. Um, but, you know, you have to figure out what, what works for you as a writer, how you process what you're struggling with and, and use that process to assess what's really happening with writer's block. So for me, oftentimes, um, it can be that there's something really emotionally raw in the story that's hitting home with me. And so it's really hard to sit down and write that because it might not be something I really want to sit with or face right now. Like, um, I think I ran into this with the darkness at the door because, um, Ray deals with a lot of betrayal. And, uh, at one point she deals with what feels like an emotional betrayal and it was so, so hard to write that scene. It, I, when I finally was like, I have to write it. I like, I, I just have to make myself write it. It took me maybe six hours and it was a 500 word scene. <laughs> and I would write a sentence and I'd have to get up and go look out the window and kind of take a breath and then bring myself back and write another sentence and just work through it um, because it was so painful. And I was very much in there with Ray and I was not in a place where I had the emotional reserves to deal with an emotional betrayal, <laughs> which, I, you know, I, we talk about writing and stories and we love them and we talk about being with our characters, but it is, I really think it's very possible to experience like secondary trauma through reading or, or watching TV or movies um, and to, you know, that's why, you know, we have content warnings and everything now is because you, you, it's very real when you are working with stories. So, you know, for me, for that, that particular writer's block, I just had to sit down and face it. Um, there are times when writer's block is there because you are physically exhausted. You're dealing with a chronic illness. You're dealing with a medical issue. Um, and maybe you just need to give yourself grace and come back to it. Maybe all of your energy is going into dealing with a crisis that's happening in your real life so to speak. And so you don't have space in your creative life to be able to create. And, and it doesn't matter if you have the time, you just don't have the reserves to do it. And that's okay. Give yourself grace. With the writer's block is give yourself grace, figure out the root of the issue, um, face it if you have to. And if it's not something you can fix in the moment, then give yourself grace and, and find your way through. It, it, it will work out in time. That's honestly great. I feel like a lot of times we tend to push ourselves and like keep telling ourselves, okay, like, you know, you can just get through this chapter, you can just get through this like paragraph even. 
Yeah. And sometimes it still doesn't work out because once you get through that paragraph, you're like, okay, so what now? Well, and sometimes with writer's block, it's that you don't know where the story is going. Like um, the something happened that you weren't expecting or you're an intuitive writer and you haven't given yourself time to process <laughs> or whatever it is, something has thrown you off your stride and you don't know where you're going. And, and that's when you have to like do whatever it is you do to plot, whether it's lying in bed or taking out your notebook or talking it out to your dog. I don't know. <laughs> but you're right. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, I don't know what to do now is, um, is sometimes just a plotting question. Um, and finding your way forward from there. That's also very true. A lot of times, sometimes either your outline is so specific or sometimes it's too vague. Yeah. <laughs> like, at least in my case, I notice like a lot of times, sometimes I'll let the characters kind of decide in the moment. I'm like, that was a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't plot the story and clearly I'm just letting that their personalities kind of take over the page and I'm like okay how do I fix this it's a challenge learning that balance between plotting and pantsing or learning not necessarily that balance because everyone's balance is different but learning what your balance is um is a little bit of a challenge but you know you won't know it if you don't both experiment a little bit and really like when I have a really good writing day um, I went through like quite a while where I would just stop and jot down what happened and what I had done before I had that right good writing day and I looked for patterns and like one of those things was oh I lay in bed (laughs) pattern huh you know like um but, you know, for, for other folks, it, it might be something completely different. But if you can can understand how your writing brain comes up with story, then you can lean into those things. That is true. Like, I know for another author, it's literally just dreaming. So they would need to get a lot of sleep yeah. <laughs> in order to finish a book. It's always, like, amazing hearing how the writing process is different for each writer and also just like their world building process because for me I don't know especially as someone who wants to be a writer that's always been fascinating (laughs) yeah for sure and that kind of brings me to the next one if you could have dinner with another author or writer um it can be an author who is alive or not up to you who would it be and why one so I can be somewhat socially awkward (laughs) especially when I'm fangirling (laughs) so I think um you know like I have some authors that like oh I would love to to meet them but I I probably would be incoherent so we're just gonna not go there um but um i would love to um have dinner with uh g willow wilson right. um she I, she's so lovely that, and she's <laughs> so down to earth and you know i i follow her on twitter and we've interacted a few times and i'm like you know if i was socially awkward around her she would just be cool with me she would be fine like it would be great I would get over myself and we'd have a grand time and I really admire her work um she's such a versatile author she's done so many different things and 
Um, she is just, she's such a thoughtful, uh, caring and critically engaged person that it would just be a delight to spend time with her, I think. Yeah, I actually, I got to meet her at a Princeton University event and I did (laughs) (laughs) I had a couple of my like Miss Marvel comics with me for her. (laughs) She was so nice about that. Um. Yeah, I always feel bad when I, like, it's an author who has multiple books, and I'm like, yeah, can you sign all these? You know, um, I think it's one of the biggest compliments an author can get, as if someone brings out, especially, like, their old dog-eared beloved copies, and you're signing something that's clearly been read, like, 20 times. Like, that is, it's such a privilege to realize that your stories mean that much to someone. So, yeah, don't... uh, don't ever feel bad. Anyone who's listening to this, don't ever feel bad about showing up with like five old books and being like, can you sign them all? The answer is yes. <laughs> Are you sure in your case, I would have the three books that I have, like the one and that is in mine. And then once Darkness at the Door comes out, <laughs> at least once it comes out in the US, which I don't know when that will be. <laughs> it is, it's uh, slated to come out July 21st, same as the UK. Perfect. The the pre-orders have been slow to go up, but uh, the release date's the same. Awesome. Very excited. (laughs) And one of the other things I was wondering, and this I'm sure comes with release date anxiety, is what is it? Is it more daunting for you to like know that your family is like the ones reading your book, or like knowing that strangers are or readers are reading your book? Um, family, I think. (laughs) But readers are a close second. (laughs) It's all daunting. It's all daunting. (laughs) Um, But, you know, at least with with readers, um, I don't have to live with you. (laughs) So if you're like, why did you write this? I can just be like, oh, I'm just going to close that web browser. Um, it is, I think it's harder, uh, with family partly because, um, it, you know, you have a very intimate relationship with, with these, these different people and then you're letting them in and making yourself vulnerable with, um, with stories that, that, um, that you're not sure how they're going to feel about because, you know, we write all kinds of things in our books, you know? little bit of death a little bit of dismemberment (laughs) all kinds of things happen and I don't know what my mom's gonna you know my mom has been an amazing support um so uh but it is it is it's still it's still hard to share yeah I I can imagine I feel like that for me that would also be one of the nerve-wracking things it's like oh how are people going to perceive you know people I know going to perceive this (laughs) because you might have people who will adore it and tell you they adore it and then I'm always like I mean obviously I know my you know when it comes to any book it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea so you're always like okay I I know obviously not everyone's going to love it like I do or you know Mm -hmm. want it as much but it's always interesting when you're like okay wow close family and friends are going to be <laughs> okay but i'm going to tell you um the one of the funniest experiences i've had with this was 
I got a call and I think it was like nine o'clock at night from like an auntie in the community. And I was like, what is going on? Is something terribly wrong? And I answered the phone and she's like, oh, hi, you know, Salam and Tassar, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, I just finished reading The Theft of Sunlight. How could you finish it there? How? And I was like, you, you called me up to take me to task for writing a cliffhanger. Uh, I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would have been like, oh wait, a darkness at the door is coming. So <laughs> uh, that yeah. was honestly so great. Yeah, no, honestly, that was pretty much my reaction after finishing <laughs> You mean if you'd had my phone number, you'd have called me too? Probably. <laughs> Um, my defense I spent about three months trying to find a different ending for that book and there was nothing that did it as well as that one so it wasn't done lightly but I will say this I am someone who appreciates a good cliffhanger so the fact that you made me want more is a good (laughs) sign (laughs) thank you thank you because I have read cliffhangers where I have been like was it worth the whole (laughs) Well, and I think that's one of the, you know, I feel like there's a difference between a true cliffhanger and a game changer ending and cliffhanger, like a true cliffhanger ending is where you're literally like the climax is happening and then you're hanging off the cliff and are you going to survive or not? And the story ends and you're like, no, you, you actually like what, what was, what was the conclusion of like the whole movie? Like you stopped right there. Or the or the story, whereas a game changer ending is where you get the big questions of that story or that movie are answered by the end of the story, but something shifts, something happens to change the trajectory of where you thought the story was going, um, and so that's kind of what I tried to do with with the theft of sunlight is the big questions that Ray is trying to answer, right? Was your, who, who are the snatchers? Why are the children being stolen? Where are they going? I'll get answered by the end of the book. <laughs> and it's just something else happens to Ray along the way. <laughs> Which is one of the things that I really liked. Like you had a lot of answers that I was looking for as I was reading. Mm-hmm. And so by the end, when that happened, I was just, and the reason I'm not saying it, cause I don't want to give spoilers with anyone that hasn't read it yet. But it is just one of those things where you're like, what? That can't be. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we start foreshadowing it in like chapter two. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great to see, be like, okay, so I, you did kind of hint that something was going to happen then. But it, I mean, it didn't yet, but <laughs> you ended with a bang. <laughs> We we did. We we ended with a bang. Poor Ray. But one of the other things I was wondering, and speaking of, I feel like Thorn and Theft of Sunlight is definitely one of those underhyped books that I like absolutely love, and I feel like it needs more hype. But also at the same time, I'm like, well, I also don't mind it being my secret. (laughs) But that kind of brings me to my almost last one because the next one is going to be the rapid fire round um what is your favorite 
underhyped book? I think that, uh, so I read a lot of indie authors and um, instead of giving a, a book per se, I'm going to give an author. Um, she has written some of my favorite comfort reads and um, her name is Kate Stradling. And um, her book, The Legendary Inga, is a gender swapped kind of not quite retelling of Beowulf. It just kind of it jumps off from a particular moment in Beowulf and does its own thing. And it is so delightful. <laughs> it is not without its flaws. Like it, it, it has it's a, one of her earlier books and it has distinct plot holes. Um, but I, I can't tell you how many times I read that book in the pandemic um, because it's just delightful. And then she has a number of uh, novellas. Um, Brian and Bone is perhaps my favorite retelling of The Little Mermaid. Um, and it's very true to the story, but it's also told from a different point of view than you're expecting. And it's really a really fun story. So I would love to see uh, Kate get uh, some more um, attention. That's good. I'll definitely check her out. Yeah. <laughs> as well. And well, now on to the rapid fire round. So these are basically, I'll ask you questions and you can say whatever comes to mind. Mm -hmm. So the first one is favorite writing software. Scrivener, for sure. <laughs> and a writing essential that you can't live without. Either uh, a laptop or a notebook. I need something to, to record on. Otherwise, I lose everything in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite beverage? Spicy hot chocolate, for sure. Awesome. Actually, I actually haven't tried that one. Um, okay. Do you have a... Do, 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 do. What is it? Oh, yeah. So what is something that made you smile today um, or this week? Well, even today, my, uh, my nine-year-old stole my phone from my hands as I was texting my neighbor. And so we ended up having our snack time outside in the backyard with our neighbor, <laughs> thanks to my nine-year-old. And so we all ate cheese and crackers and berries together, and it was absolutely delightful. Um, and, yeah, uh, she, she also, I don't really know what it means but my nine-year-old told texted my neighbor that i was a hot dog mama <laughs> i was like what what does that mean i'm afraid to ask <laughs> so i don't even know if it meant something or she was just being silly <laughs> she's never actually eaten a hot dog <laughs> so i don't know it could also have been autocorrect. It could have been even more hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so there were a lot of smiles today. That was pretty great. And one other thing. Um, in terms, like, aside from writing, do you have any other hobbies that you are really passionate about? Um, you know, raising my kids. <laughs> um, I don't think that I... I don't, honestly, I don't think I have any other hobbies that are, that I actually am passionate about. Um, I like to knit, but it's usually because I have a really hard time sitting still and focusing on something. So if I'm watching a movie or I'm 
on a Zoom call. I need something to do with my hands. So I don't knit because I love knitting and I'm passionate about it. Like I I'm really a really basic knitter and I've been knitting for like two decades and I'm like I know three stitches and that's enough. So <laughs> the knit, the purl, and I forget the other and one. I can do a yarn over. That's not even a nice. stitch. I counted okay. as one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my whole repertoire. It's a non-passionate hobby, <laughs> but like I feel like it's good to have something that keeps you, I guess, like going in the sense that with knitting, it's something that's somewhat relaxing, but it yeah. can also be um, just something that occupies. But on that note, I think we are on the nine minute. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming tonight. And this was a lot of fun. And I got a lot of answers <laughs> that I had. So I'm very happy that I got to do this. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun, too. Of course. And your books by Intisar on Instagram, Twitter, and pretty much also social media that you're on. <laughs> yes. And for everyone who's listening, you can also pre-order a Darkness at the Door online, either bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy books. Pretty sure Waterstones is probably also one of them. That's yeah. Awesome. And hopefully we'll also see a Darkness at the Door in libraries as well, which I'm also looking forward to. Can always suggest it as a purchase to your library. Yes, definitely. All right, on that note, thank you so much. And thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for tuning in to today's Raise Your Words book club segment. To stay updated on what we post, please check out Raise Your Words Pod on Instagram. That's at Raise Your Words Pod.